well, it's official. Uh, the, result, the research has been done and the data has been collected and we are officially becoming more and more selfish. For years now, psychologists have been studying what they call the narcissism personality inventory. It's basically a survey measuring how self-focused we are. And psychology today has reported that pretty well ever since they've been doing the study, since the 80s, for years now, the index have been, has been showing that we are becoming more and more and more preoccupied with ourselves. According to Psychology Today, more than ever before, we're all sitting out there at the moment, quietly thinking that we are the most important person in the room. That's why there might be a part of you thinking, I hope Bryson's talk's not too long this morning. Don't really feel like thinking too hard today. Maybe there's another part of you thinking, I hope someone's going to be nice to me over morning tea. I've had a rough week. Maybe there's a part of you thinking, you know, it'd be nice if someone made a meal for me once in a while. I've been flat out lately. The research is in and in increasing measure, it's all about me. Now friends, this morning God is going to put a great big pin right through those sorts of thought bubbles. Did you notice how the Bible reading started at verse 3? For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now that last phrase, in a nutshell, is what today's passage is all about. It is about not thinking too highly of ourselves. And as such, it's following on very closely from what we heard last week. Remember last Sunday, it was all about being a living sacrifice and renewing our minds, renewing the way we think and not conforming to the patterns of this world. And now here is Paul's first case study in putting that into practice. Here is his first example of how to renew our minds. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. And what he does in this passage is he basically gives us three ways of achieving that. Three ways to renewing our thinking so as to help us not be overly inflated in our view of ourselves. The first is we should think with sober judgment. Verse 3 again. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now the word sober there, it's got nothing to do with whether you drink alcohol or not. It's the generalised point of being clear-minded in how we think about ourselves. Uh, Paul wants us to be level-headed about ourselves. He wants us to see ourselves for who we really are. I was interested to read recently that some of the high street fashion shops in London have been getting into trouble because evidently some of the shops there have been using what they call skinny mirrors in their change rooms. Uh, These are the ones that make you appear slimmer than you really are. So you're in the shop and you're thinking you look particularly good in that pair of jeans that they're trying to sell you, but then you get home and put them on and somehow it doesn't look quite the same as it. And people are getting really upset that they've been tricked into seeing themselves not as they really are. But it's not just the fashion shops in London, is it? 
Every day, you and I are getting bombarded with tricks from advertising agencies trying to manipulate how we think about ourselves and how we see ourselves, telling us that we're worth it, so we should buy their brand of shampoo, and telling you that you won't be a good mum if you're not using this brand of disinfectant in the house. And telling us guys that we're not going to be all that attractive unless we spray ourselves with their brand of deodorant. And it's actually hard to think straight about ourselves sometimes, sitting as we do in the crosshairs of so much mass marketing. Every year, something like $500 billion is spent in Australia on advertising. That is $21,000 per person. This year, $21,000 is being spent to get you personally to think a certain way. And God doesn't want us to be manipulated or tricked or deluded into wrong thinking about ourselves. He wants us to see ourselves as we really are. He wants us to think with sober judgment. How How do we do that? The last bit of the verse tells us. It's by thinking in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now, it is a bit of a tricky phrase, that one, but it's basically saying that we are to measure ourselves using the yardstick of faith. See, that's the way it works, isn't it? You've always got to use the, the right standard of measurement to measure something with. You don't, you don't use a clock to measure your weight. You don't use a ruler to measure time. Well, we use the perspective of faith to measure ourselves. We don't use what we're good at. We don't use what other people think of us. We don't even use what, other, what we think of ourselves. We use the standard of faith. So when we're tempted to have an overinflated view of ourselves, we remind ourselves that, hang on, my faith in God tells me that I've been saved by God's mercy. It's not about me. It's about what God's done for me. It's like Paul said last week, we now view everything from the perspective of God's mercies to us. And with that in mind, there is no place for self-importance in this room. No use me pretending I'm pretty good because you know I'm not. We're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We've all been saved through faith in God's goodness. We're all the same. We are pardoned sinners. That's the realistic view of ourselves. That's the sober judgment of ourselves. And it's a judgment that prevents us from thinking that we are any better than anyone else in this room. But Paul goes on. A second thing also prevents us from getting too carried away with ourselves, and this is probably the biggest one in the passage, and that is that we think of ourselves now with a strong sense of belonging, that we think of ourselves as belonging to others in Christ. Look at verse 4 now with me. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now here again, friends, is a very counter-cultural way to think. This is very different to the pattern of the world. We live in a culture which is very individualistic in its emphasis. And so, for example, we have a culture that champions personal rights. 
my individual rights to do certain things so that other people can't influence my right to do them. And more and more, it's the individual, not the family unit, not the community, not the neighbourhood. More and more, it's me, the individual, who is the basic unit of society. Add to that our technology that is enabling us to not even have all that much to do with other people now if we don't want to. We don't have to go to the cinemas to watch a movie anymore. We can do that at home. We can enjoy our music with our headphones on cut off from the rest of the world. We don't even have to sort of look at anyone else now if if we're going to talk to them. We just simply talk to them on our mobile, mobile phones or if we really want to control the friendship, we just text each other or use Facebook. And even non-Christian sociologists are saying that it's feeding our self-focus. It's feeding our isolation from other people. And here Paul is telling us that the reality of who we are in Christ is that we're not just an individual who is in Christ. I'm part of a people who are in Christ. And I don't now think of myself anymore in an isolated way. I think of myself in a much more connected and communal way. Our default setting is now to think of ourselves as part of a group, part of a spiritual family, part of a church. And the illustration that Paul gives here is a very powerful one. In verse 4, he likens us as being like the members of a body. There's arms and legs and feet and they're all different and they, but they all belong to each other. And notice the wording of that. He doesn't say that each member belongs with all the others. He actually says we belong to all the others. It's a very strong statement of ownership. In other words, a church family is not just a bunch of people who are like-minded, you know, like a political party or a hobby group. It's not that we're simply like-minded. We belong to one another. We, just, we don't just associate with each other. We're owned by each other. Now think about that. If you cut your finger, we don't tend to just say, oh no, I've hurt my finger. We, we also tend to say, oh no, I've hurt myself. It'd be funny to say, oh, I didn't really hurt myself, I just hurt my finger. That doesn't make sense because we don't think of our different bits in isolation like that. They are me. Well, now as Christians, we simply don't think of each other in, of ourselves in isolation. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. And when one of us celebrates, we all celebrate. We belong to each other. In the last census, 61% of Australians identified themselves as being Christian. Only 8% identified themselves as regularly going to a church more than once a month. That's ridiculous. In fact, this, this talk is being podcast this morning. So there may even be someone out there listening to this talk who isn't here just because they couldn't be bothered to. Had a better offer. No good reason. 
There may even be someone out there listening to this at this very moment who isn't even a member of a church, but they think they're a Christian and they get their input from the net. That's ridiculous. You need to turn me off and get to a church. Because we go to church because that's who we are. We belong to each other as Christians. We belong to other Christians. Which is why Paul goes on to talk about gifts. Verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, letting him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Now, it's an interesting thing that gives this, isn't it? It's not a complete set of gifts. Uh, there are other bits of the New Testament that mention other gifts that aren't mentioned here. Uh, and they're not even explained. What exactly is the gift of encouraging? I mean, encouragement, that's something we all should be doing. That's what we'll see in the next couple of weeks. So what's exactly the gift of encouragement? Same with the gift of showing mercy or the gift of serving. These are things we all should be doing. At what point do these sort of jump the fence and become a special gift? Paul doesn't tell us. Because the point of the list is not to explain the gifts. It's simply to say there's lots of them. We've each got one and we each use them. Because the point of the list is that we belong to each other so we contribute to each other. We do our bit. We don't just turn up to be a consumer here this morning, we turned up to be a contributor. In our physical bodies, uh, scientists reckon that there are a few different bits that don't really do anything. Uh, wisdom teeth, male nipples, what do they do? Scientists call them vestigial organs. There is no such thing as a vestigial organ in the body of Christ. We all belong. We all do our bit. We all use our gifts. And it's all got to do with renewing our minds so that we don't think too highly of ourselves. Because we just simply don't think of ourselves in isolation anymore. We think of ourselves as belonging to each other. Which leads very naturally into a third way that we renew our minds so as to prevent us from getting too carried away with ourselves. We think with sincere love. Verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Honour one another above yourselves. Now, it's an interesting thing that every time Paul mentions gifts in the New Testament, like he's just done, he always follows it up by talking about love. Every single time. After gifts, he talks about love. 1 Corinthians 13, classic example. 1 Corinthians 13, it's the famous love chapter that often comes out at weddings. You know, love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's a chapter all about love, uh, about gifts. It's right in the middle of a big three-chapter discussion all about gifts because the consistent teaching of the New Testament is that it doesn't matter what gift we have, that doesn't matter what matters is that we use it in love which again is a slightly different way to sometimes the way we think. 
Because the way we often think about using our gifts in church, the way we think about what our gift is, is that we start by asking ourselves, okay, what, what am I good at? Okay, what am I skilled at doing? Which is sort of understandable. We all like playing to our strengths, so I get that. It can also be a little self-focused. But we ask ourselves, well, what am I good at? And we either get depressed because we can't think of anything or we come up with something like, well, I'm good at leadership, I'm good at administration or I'm good at music or I'm good at... And, and so we think that's my gift. That's what I should be doing. And we sometimes get a sense of entitlement that, and we'll get in, uh, upset if we're not doing that particular thing. The, the church is stifling my gift or else we get really blinkered vision and we ignore all the other ministry opportunities that are available because we don't think of it as doing ministry unless we're using that gift that I'm good at doing. And that's not sincere love. That's not honouring one another above ourselves. That's wanting to do what I'm good at so that I'll feel recognised and affirmed. Verse 10 talks of being devoted to one another. That's a commitment through thick and thin. It's putting up with things we may not like for the sake of other people. It's perhaps not doing what we dearly love to do, but not doing it for the sake of others. And so the person who thinks with sincere love does not just think, what am I good at? The person who thinks with sincere love thinks in terms of what does the church family need? What does the church family in need of? Look at what he says in verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. See, if people are in physical difficulty, help them out. If people are feeling a bit left out or overlooked, look after them. Invite people home. Talk to them over morning. It's about thinking, it's, it's about not thinking, what am I good at? It's about, it's not thinking, what can I, what, what would I like to do? It's about thinking what needs to be done. It's about thinking with love which is in turn all about not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, which is in turn all about renewing our minds. Because remember how how this stuff fits with last week? Last Sunday, all about being a living sacrifice, renewing our minds so as to not conform to the patterns of this world. And here is Paul's first case study of putting this into practice. It is a case study to renew our minds in the way that we think about ourselves. And we do not conform to this world's pattern because we do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And because of this close connection with last week, I'd like to close this week by reminding us of something else that was said last Sunday. And that is the idea that we were told in verse 2, that when we do renew our minds this sort of way, then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. In other words, the more we renew our minds to think this way, the more we will understand and appreciate God's will and the more we'll experience just how excellent God's ways really are which I think is especially worth considering this morning because there will be a big part of us that will just not want to do what these verses are saying. And we will react against this because it does not come naturally to think like this. Our default position 
is to think more highly of ourselves than we should. Our default position is to want to be taught and be served and be encouraged rather than the person who is doing that for others. Our default position is to worry about who's going to look after me if I don't. But God's good and pleasing and perfect will is do not think too highly of yourself. Think with sober judgment and sincere love and see yourself as belonging, owned by the other brothers and sisters in this room. And there is enjoyment and there is actually superb goodness to be had in that. See, imagine just for a moment, imagine if we actually did what this passage said to the best of our ability. Imagine a community of believers who weren't selfish. Imagine where every single one of us turned up here this morning with sincere love and devotion for each other, never lacking in zeal, faithful in prayer, using our gifts to serve and encourage, showing mercy, being quick to forgive, Imagine a a body of believers not just intersecting with each other for an hour or so a week, but actually belonging to each other. Where we spend time listening to one another, helping one another, laughing with one another, weeping with one another, reading the Bible with one another. Imagine a body of believers where people go along during the week to difficult appointments so as to lend support to one another. Imagine where people make themselves as available as sounding boards so as to help us make wise decisions. Imagine a body of believers where people pick up other people's children and drop off other people's children and care for each other's children. Imagine a body of believers where meals are made and meals are shared and unexpected acts of kindness are performed. Imagine a body of believers where lifts are given to people and cars are lent for pe- to people and cars are fixed for people and sometimes cars are just given away to people. Imagine a body of believers where money is put in the collection with anonymous notes. Please give this to so-and-so. I think they're doing it tough. That is God's good, pleasing and perfect will for early church. And it is one of my great privileges in my role here at DPC and is one of the great joys that Al and Wayne and Dave and the elders get to see is the way that so many of you are actually striving to do this. So many of you every week are just quietly going about your lives doing exactly what I've just listed off. All those things. Using your gifts to love the other members 
of this body that you belong to. To those of you who are doing that, thank you. Thank you for not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. But if in your heart of hearts you know that that's not you, could you please start? Not because I'm asking you, it's because God calls you to. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. I'll pray. Father, thank you for all the things that you have done for us. And we pray that as living sacrifices, we will continue to work hard at renewing our minds and thinking rightly about ourselves. Father, please help us to put to death conformity to this world and the selfishness that pervades so much of our society. Help us to see ourselves soberly as your people by your mercy, as your people belonging to one another. And we thank you for the opportunities we have for sincerely loving one another in this church family. And we pray that we would excel at it. Amen.